0: Welcome, my name is Chris Gosselin from Australian Fund Monitors. In today's Fund in Focus, we're talking to Monik Kotecha. He established InSync Funds Management in 2009 to invest in what he calls global megatrends. They create a portfolio of 15 to 30 stocks, large cap companies that have a consistent record of growth, not only of sales, but also of profitability and dividends. Monik, welcome. Thank you, Chris. Monik, can I start by asking if the recent rotation from growth to value stocks has changed the way you manage the portfolio?
1: Uh, Well, the the short answer is no. Um, And the reason being is because mega trends tend to be long-term in duration. Uh, They they tend to just keep moving forward regardless of what the economic cycle does, and they tend to generally deliver growth well in excess of GDP. So, at Insync, we don't generally concern ourselves with where the short-term economic cycles are moving to. It clearly has an impact from time to time in terms of a little bit of a rotation in style that does happen. Um, So, if you'd like me to expand a little bit further around that, um, you know the the. uh, the outperformance of value over the last sort of six or nine months, I think it's a very natural occurrence at this point in the cycle. We're coming out of a a government-induced, you could say, uh, slowdown or, or recession or or melt or, or you know quite a sharp economic shock. Um, we saw that in the GFC, uh, and so when you're coming out of a gloomy period. Uh, and earn, and the economy is improving in the short term it does tend to favor those companies that have been hit very hard by the economic cycle so in know 9 10 we had a great performance in the in the what we call the value style the you know the cyclicals the banks all those companies really exposed to the economy we saw uh, a similar thing coming out of COVID, it's, it's again entirely logical. In fact, we saw this during the t- Trump era because when Trump came on, people got very excited that we're going to get much higher levels of GDP growth, and that lasted for about six months. So we don't see the outperformance of, of, let's call it, the traditional value style as a long-term, um, a long-term trend, but it's a very normal part in this part of the cycle. Does
0: investing in these profitable mega-trend companies restrict you? from investing in high growth stocks?
1: You know, there are nuances on growth and and you're absolutely right. What we focus on is what we call sustainable growth. And we're not about growth in only revenues. A lot of our companies are growing at high single digits, low double digits consistently pre-COVID. Some of them accelerated post-COVID and we believe the outlook will continue to be, you know, levels of growth that are multiples of GDP. So we've had the sustainability and revenue growth come through. Importantly, the whole point about investing in sustainable growth companies is they're highly profitable, okay? As opposed to growth in revenues, okay? And a lot of companies are experiencing high growth companies or companies positioned in that part of the market are showing very high lots of revenue growth, but very little profitable growth. So there's a lot of hype there at the moment. We saw that in the tech bubble, there's a lot of hype and it takes a number of years to work out. Once you get to that high period, who the winners are going to be and whether that trend is going to be sustainable, whereas we tend to invest when we recognise and understand that the trends are truly sustainable and the winners are very clear. Are
0: the current fears of inflation and higher bond yields changing the way you look at managing the portfolio? We've obviously had a sharp correction in bond
1: yields and, and expectations of interest rates. Interestingly, there's a disconnect there between the market and what the central banks are suggesting. Um, and what they're intimating, and they're now looking at their learnings of the last 10 years is one of the hardest um, challenges they're having is actually creating sustainable jobs growth leading to uh, very good w- wages growth. And what we didn't see pre-COVID, even at the peak of the growth, when Trump came in and growth was elevated in the US, wages only got up to about 3.5% growth during that period. Okay. And a very slight lift in interest rates and suddenly that wages growth started to slow down very very quickly so I think there is an appreciation there that what they're really focused on I think is bringing their unemployment levels down increasing the participation rate because people only look at the headline level but there's a lot of uh, lot of individuals who are not actually on the, on the job role, right? They're not looking for jobs. So they're, they're out, of, out of the equation. So that's why the participation rate. Right. So as the job market continues to improve, the participation rate, which is at very low levels, needs to also increase significantly to get what we think will be an inflation outbreak. So yes, what we're seeing around the inflation picture at the moment really is we came out of, you know, don't forget it's a year on year calculation. Think about last year, everything was shut down. So growth's improving. Obviously inflation is increasing, the inflation expectations increasing because the world is now opening up again. There's some transitory issues around supply because you know supply shut down very significantly and when demand comes back, it takes a little bit of time for the supply to catch up. But I think for inflation to truly break out, we need unemployment levels at levels that we have never seen before, I think, to really generate high levels of inflation. So it hasn't changed our
0: perspective. And does the recent change in the White House change the way you're looking at anything? Yes, I mean, you know, clearly policy has
1: an impact on on certain megatrends. Most of our companies are, uh, are not impacted in any significant way from the changing government we've seen. Uh, clearly one of the big megatrends that's likely to emerge going forward is the move towards uh, a greener planet, right? And there's now clearly a concerted effort to move in that direction. So, in a sense, that's always been around, topical. You know, people have shown concern about what we're doing around the climate, but really the policy initiatives now driven by Europe and what is now looks like is gonna be followed up by Biden is they're gonna spend a lot of money in trying to transition us As quickly as possible to a net neutral carbon outcome in the next 10, 15, 20 years and so they're throwing a lot of money and so yes that is a potential trend that's developing today but just because it's a trend doesn't mean all companies are going to benefit that are participating in that trend because again we're in that a little bit in the hype phase where there's a lot of competition that comes into the market and what you're going to do is you're going to try and work out how is that trend going to evolve evolve and are there any profitable winners that you can see today that will benefit from that trend? So that's something that we're spending more time on today. Sure.
0: And equally, I suppose the other side of that particular coin is there'll be some winners, there'll be some losers as well. So presumably, uh, old non-renewable energy is gonna be a problem, High uh, companies with a high exposure to coal or oil will, will have problems as well. Look, I think that that's
1: exactly right. If you look at the very long term, that transition is very clear, but it still takes a long time to transition the whole economy um, from carbon intensive fuel to, to renewables. So the interesting thing there is there hasn't been a lot of supply that's come on. And so we would agree with you structurally, but in the short term, I think part of the reasons why oil prices is high and commodity prices are very high is because there's been no new supply that's come on for a number
0: of years. Monique, do you see China as a risk or an opportunity at the current time? We think China is still a very relevant theme. I
1: mean, we've had a big move in the middle class over the last 10 years, and that will continue. And their per capita income continues to increase. So 10 years ago, it was all about buying the necessities, you know, the, the toothpaste, the detergents, the dishwashing, the, you know, improving the food. China's now moved on. It's now more luxury goods, luxury cars, you know, premium wine, premium beer. Uh, so this also become a bit more discretionary as well as a result of that. Okay? Uh, we think the country that actually is probably uh, a, a stronger theme or a stronger mega trend, sorry, uh, around the emerging middle class is actually India. Because of the around billion people estimated to move into the middle class over the next 10 years, 60% of that is now likely to come from India. And again, look at a company like Domino's, okay? they're growing there. We own Apple, Apple's very interesting. You know, uh, you think about one of the biggest, fastest growing parts of the Apple uh, ecosystem, it's been the wearables market. And the third largest uh, market in terms of sales of wearables last year
0: was India. There's been an increase in both trade and military tensions with China globally in recent months. Does this change the way in which you invest in the portfolio.
1: I mean, there's obviously a geopolitical risk that we can all agree is heightened today. And you know, we're, you know, our China's made their intentions very clear in terms of how they want to move forward as a as a country. And there's obviously the issue around Taiwan, and maybe that's the spark. So there's always there's always risk in the market. Okay. I mean, last year everything looked very risky at the bottom of the market. Nobody wanted to invest. Now everyone's worried it's gone too far. You know. There's been geopolitical risks happening for years and maybe it does actually manifest into something a bit more negative and there's that short-term shock. The portfolio we've built is not a China-centric portfolio. It's a global portfolio okay? where they're getting cash flows from different geographic regions. So yes, we do think about it as we do all the risks, uh, but the reality is certainly from a stock-specific perspective, we don't see a lot of risk in most of the stocks that we own at the moment.
0: Monique, thanks again for your time this afternoon. Always good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris.